Farmer Fr- it's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. If I turn my mic on. Oh, thanks for joining us today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. And we're broadcasting from the Morton studio, taking your calls and questions all throughout the show. You can email us, radio at agphd.com. Our phone lines are open, 844-44-AG-PHD. And you know what? we got a few mailbag questions we haven't got to this week. We'll try and get through those as well today. All right, so Darren, I was just talking to an agronomist down in Nebraska. Heard this interesting thing. See what you think about this. Liberty plus crop oil plus resource was doing better for a few guys on water hemp and palmer pigweed than Liberty. Well, basically, they put resource in instead of 2,4-D, instead of Enlist 1. They said the resource in there has actually been a little better with the Liberty than the 2,4-D. And I said, that'd be kind of interesting. I, I wouldn't mind trying that on our farm next year. I mean, we got everything killed now, but I mean, to try it, I'm I'm fine with that. I mean, resource is an okay product, but if you look at resource by itself versus 2,4-D by itself, well, 2,4-D is way better. Here's on water the other thing that you palmer. didn't disclose there, Brian, and I don't know if this is the case, but if I'm spraying Enlist, I've got to follow the Enlist label. I have to use Excellent their nozzles. Point. If I'm yep. not spraying Enlist, I can use Liberty the way I want to use Liberty, and should which is use small it. droplets, tons of pressure. I agree 100%. Yes. Both Liberty and Resource are contact killers and you should use a lot of water. You should use a lot of pressure. You should use a small droplet. People talk about medium droplets and I get that, but I got to be honest, a a small droplet is going to give you better control than a medium droplet. So if and when you can, I'm not saying all places, everywhere, or anything, all situations, I'm simply saying if you can use a small droplet instead of even a medium droplet, you'll have better control. Agree 100%. The other thing is if you're spraying Liberty now, you need to be at the absolute top end of that rate, which is 43 ounces per acre in soybeans. There's not even a question. There's not, well, you know, a lot of these weeds are only two inches tall. No, they're not. There's some big ones out there, and you're not going to get them if you don't use 43. Yeah. Just keep in mind, the label's going to restrict you for total you can use per year. So if you already use 43 once, unless they change the label, I don't think you can use 43. You can go up to 87. You can go up to 87. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. My math is a little slow today. All right. Hey, we better jump to the phone lines, dear. All right. We've got Luke over in Minnesota. How you doing, Luke? Hey, doing good. Thank you. Um, I am spraying Domark and uh, Nutex EDA today along with a micronutrient mix. Yep. And it's on a center pivot, center pivot soybean field, um, R1 to R2 right now. Okay. And I'm wondering how long I should wait before I irrigate. How long were you thinking you should wait? What What's your assumption? What were you kind of planning on prior to calling us? Uh, I was thinking, I don't know, 12 to 24 hours. Yep. So let's put it this way. With most products, you're usually pretty safe as soon as it dries on the leaf. So let's just say it was there's a rain shower coming, and it's not something we're in control of like we are with irrigation. We usually tell people, look, you can follow the label, and a lot of the labels well, on the do, fungicides are going to be— two hours. Yeah. Domark is two hours yeah. on the But label. many of the fungicides might be two to four hours, sometimes even six hours. We also have to look at common sense, and we'll always tell people, if you're spraying in the evening, just before the dew comes on, what we find is that the it extends the rain fast time. So in other words— uh, there's just enough moisture in the air, a little bit of dew in the leaves, and the stuff doesn't get fully absorbed a lot of times till morning. So if you're spraying in the morning, 
well, by afternoon, you're usually pretty safe. If you're spraying in the evening, you really, I'm really hoping it doesn't rain until at least mid to late morning the next morning. But in, like in your case, when you control the irrigation, just to be on the super safe side, I'm going to tell you, just wait 24 hours and you're good. Okay. Sounds good. That's, that's what I was thinking. All right. Thank you. you. Yep. Thanks, Luke. All right, got a soil test here that came in from Doug down in Texas, and he said, guys, this purchased soil will not support garden growth. Plants are turning yellow and dying. I pulled a soil sample. Here's my soil sample results. Do you think it could be a nutrient problem, or what would you look for if you couldn't get garden plants to grow? See, you purchased soil hoping it was going to be good. Um you know, just when I take a quick glance at the soil, it's 6.3 pH, 150 parts per million phosphorus, 471 in potassium, 2300 calcium, 248 magnesium, 82 sulfur, uh, 6 of zinc, 8 of iron, 21 of manganese, 1.5 of copper. I, I hope if you're listening, you aren't just thinking, oh, these numbers don't tell me anything. They should tell you a lot that um, things actually look quite good. Now the one thing here it does say it's got no nit it's got one part per million of nitrate. I don't know if that's true. They didn't test it. Something's wrong. I don't know, but I mean when I'm just simply looking at nutrients, it appears that the only one that's short is nitrogen. Uh, I also don't know what the soil's organic matter is or cation exchange capacity or anything like that. So I don't have all the answers that I need here, but I I got most of them and it's telling me the soil itself yeah. isn't if bad. You could, if you could say where that soil but, came from, like, for example, maybe it got dug up out of a pasture and somebody sprayed a long-lasting soil residual herbicide. Right. Uh, that could, could be, be a, a herbicide thing. Could be compaction. I don't I don't know. I mean, maybe stuff's too tight. I, it could be it's not watered properly. I, maybe it's excess water and poor drainage. I'm, I'm not sure. Just by this, it's really hard to know. And this kind of goes to why field observations and field investigations are so important and why we talk so much about scouting like just for farmers in general because even for us on our own farm a lot of times we'll get to the end of the year and we go oh no we we got a problem area in the field it didn't yield near what it should what do you think happened well at that point there's a lot of speculation involved and we really have to try to dig back into some of the stuff we might have, whether it's satellite imagery, soil testing, possibly tissue testing we had there, anything like that. But that's also why when people talk about satellite imagery, and I hear a lot of people say, oh, it's, it's pretty maps. What do I really do with that? What you do with it is you use it for scouting because we can predict yield off of even right now satellite imagery. Go out to those areas and let's try to figure out what's wrong because now you should be able to see it in a lot of things that could have led to the issue. At harvest time, you can't. So, yeah, I, I apologize here, Doug, that we can't give you a more concrete answer, but those are just some of our thoughts. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the email. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Insects have reigned since the dawn of time. Adapted to their surroundings. Experienced the harshest climates and toughest challenges until now. With two modes of action, Ridgeback Insecticide delivers one devastating outcome for soybean aphids, extinction from your fields. They may have lived through it all, but they won't survive this. End soybean aphids reign at ridgeback.corteva.us. 
In his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm a little confused. Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility. One-third of a dog. Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hardworking Lucento fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual mode of action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucento fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com for hardworking control in your fields. Always read and follow all label directions. Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. You can send us an email if you'd like us to look at a picture or a soil test or tissue test. It's radio at agphd.com, or you can just give us a call. Our phone lines are open throughout the show today, 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Steve over in New Mexico right now. How are you doing, Steve? Well, doing quite well today. It's a little warm in New Mexico. We're located in the northwest part of New Mexico, a little place called bloomfield new mexico right in the four corners area and uh we're doing well today it's uh like i said it's uh we're starting to feel a little bit of that june heat we're kind of between uh that of um i guess you could say thunderstorms uh that and the monsoon flow of moisture hopefully we'll get some good moisture coming up for this month of july as we look towards that as the monsoon season so we're doing quite well in new mexico today yes we are excellent excellent what you working on on the farm well, today, actually, you called me right during lunchtime. I'm taking a lunch break. Uh, I'm loading uh, large bales of triticale, 3 by 3 by 8 so we just got through baling up triticale. We're uh, in a rotation crop phase. Right now, we're building that of our, our healthy soil, I guess you could say, our healthy soil, building up some biomass material. and, and uh, but uh, So I'm doing rotation crops between triticale and Sudan grass. So I'm trying to get these bales out of the field so I can get ready to come right behind it in about eight weeks. I'm going to harvest hopefully a good crop of Sudan grass, and then I'll take my soil test, and I hope, and I hope and pray that I'll be able to go ahead and put in my permanent, uh, I, I'm, I think I'm going to come back with some grass, uh, alfalfa mix probably in these fields of mine, and uh, hopefully get some good grass alfa, uh, good 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 quality hay, yeah. Where does the triticale go? Do you have livestock yourself, or, or where are you sending it? Yes. Yeah. You know what I found, and for our listeners as well. Triticale is a hybrid between winter wheat and winter rye. Some people aren't very well educated on it. Now, I cut it. I try to get it before the boot stage or a little bit after the boot stage, but unfortunately, my wife and I were on vacation. So it went a little longer this year. So I had not as much leaf, but I uh, really try to uh, focus on the quality of the feed itself and making sure we have some good protein value to that as well. And so I try to cut it again, you know, about at that boot stage, but 
you know I use it for my butcher steers. I have a butcher beef operation where I deliver beef to the front doorstep of customers. And you know what? Uh, that's all I feed. I feed Sudan and uh, triticale. Some people pronounce it triticale or triticale. Um, and I feed that along with my grain ration. My, my steers are uh, obviously all finished off with a grain ration in the last 90 days. And I'm telling you what, they're slicked off and they look good. So um, I have a, uh, a guy that raises uh, market lambs, matter of fact, and he really loves it for his use. Uh, they produces good milk on their bags um, and just uh, really helps his lambs. They don't get near as bloated as, for example, if you put them on alfalfa, okay? So, you know, triticale is a great, great crop for those listeners out there that really want to add a little bit of nutrients and rust bleach to their uh, mix, if they have a tub mixer, of course, or a whatever the case might be, and they're, they're bunker feeding it maybe. And, but uh, I'm telling you, I have more customers now. I, in fact, the Native American population here in the Four Corners area is beginning to adopt it and beginning to buy it now uh, for their goats and sheep. Interesting. Interesting. I love the passion that you talk about it, Steve. It's the fun thing about farming that you can do things your own way. You can learn what's working for you. Mm -hmm. And you know what? Sometimes there's going to be something that's a little bit different than other people are doing. And uh, that makes a great little niche for you. I I love the idea of the the boxed beef right to the door, too. That's fantastic. Yeah, I I raise good good quality. uh, Hereford Cross, so we're raising black baldies. And um, and so it's I have some customers up in the Los Alamos area, which is near Albuquerque, New Mexico as well, but I really take a lot of pride in that, and uh, I really enjoy that part of production of agriculture because you're basically you're from that of a uh, from the ranch or the farm, whatever you want to say, from the field to the, to the table, to the fort, to the plate. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that's honestly, that's what consumers are looking for. They just want to understand what we're doing and why as farmers and ranchers. And you bet. Uh, you've got such a great story with, with what you're doing. And it's really cool to to hear how much you care about the animals and about the soils, too, Steve. Really, really great talking to you here. Hey, one thing, though, I got to give yeah. you a hard time. You're on vacation and you missed your cutting window. Come on, man. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know, I got to tell you something. You got just a minute. You sure. got just a minute. Sure. Hey, I, we went to Italy and we were in Tuscany, we were in other areas of Italy, but I could easily be an Italiano, Italiano. Their agriculture over there is fascinating. Of course, you know, they have olives and grapes and etc. but you know, they raise a lot of Durham wheat that is specifically grown for their breads and their pasta. Absolutely. But of course, they're known for their wine, of course, but they're great farmers over there. Beautiful, beautiful, well-manicured farms. Um, you know, uh, they, they, they raise barley as well and soybeans, by the way, and corn. But their breed of cattle that they breed, that they raise there, Chianani's, Chianani's, I think is how you pronounce it, they're large, large. The bulls weigh up to 3,500 pounds, sometimes a height of 5 feet 11 inches. Got to well, look them up. It's yeah, I don't, I don't want to run with the bulls over there if that's the kind of bulls they got to run against. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a beautiful country, and we enjoyed our stay over there. We love the people. Very friendly. But uh, learned a little bit about agritourism in Italy as well when we were there. But... But I had to come back to reality and get back to the farm, they'd say. Yeah, sounds like my kind of vacation. Learn a little bit about farming wherever I'm heading to. That's the most fun for me. And as we close here, I want to say just God bless America. God bless our farmers and ranchers who provide food and fiber on an everyday basis for us Americans as well, including myself. And, you know, I was raised on a farmer ranch in the Boot Hill of New Mexico, a little place called Animas on the Frontera on the Mexican border. But you know what? During this 4th of July, we really need to look at our nation really Give blessings to those things that come to us. And um, I think Paul Harvey and uh, 
the way he coined it basically in his poem and dedication towards that of the the farmer uh what 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 farmers mean to americans and and, and the nation in regards to producing once again food and fiber to feed what 98 percent of the world huh that's right that's yeah right. the population so i just have so much respect i don't care if you're raising strawberries oysters clams uh, any type of tour, uh, agriculture, this hats off to ag producers. We need you. Yeah, absolutely. I second all those thoughts heading into the 4th of July here. We absolutely celebrate farmers along the way. You bet too. you get thanks. You bet, bet well, you. thanks, Steve. Really appreciate having you on. Didn't mean to interrupt your lunch there, but great talking to you. Oh, I was already done. I was already, I was already finished with The timing was perfect. God bless you. <laughs> Have a great day. Make it a fabulous weekend and fabulous Friday and, and uh, happy 4th of July. Okay. To all the listeners out there as well. You bet. You too, Steve. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Uh, let's head over to Missouri. You got Tony on with us right now in dry, dry Missouri. Wow, Tony, I saw the picture of your soil. That, that doesn't look good. No, it's pretty bad. They're saying we're just in D2, but I think they're wrong. <laughs> well, I was just talking to my son, and we were looking at, at some of our ground, too, and we've got some decent-sized cracks, not quite that big, but... Uh, we were looking at it, and and he said, "Man, Dad, we just got two shots of rain, total of close to an inch." And he goes, "That doesn't even come close to filling in these holes." I'm like, "No, when they get that big, it's going to take a lot more than an inch to cure things up." But the the thing I was thinking about too, Tony, is when you look at those soils, if you look at the soil analysis where we've got more magnesium and not enough calcium we see our cracks getting even bigger. Is that the same thing? Is it a high magnesium soil? Yes, pretty much everything right around my location is high, off-the-wall magnesium. Yep. Yep. Yeah, what a blessing. Uh, That's My grandpa said this to my dad, and my dad said it to Brian and me. He's like, yep, that soil over there, so much magnesium. Don't waste your money on that. And, you know, all Brian and I have done is go after it. I mean, we're like, all right, give us the challenge. We'll, we'll go to it. But it's taken a lot of calcium application to turn some of it around, and we've still got more to go. I, I did find I, – I hate terraces. Terraces, they had a reason in the day. You know, when they plowed from uh, fence row to fence row, and that was their only alternative, you know, to cropping. Uh, but I cut some hay that I'd never cut before. People just bought it, let me have it. Uh, it was terraced. It may have been three or four acres, had seven terraces in it. Oh I mean, that's, that's a pain. But it told me something. The rain that we did have, it stopped it, slowed it down, and it made the grass grow because of farm nets to it. I got less than a bale to the acre. This one I got two, two and a half. That is a great observation. Yeah, there's so many practices over the years. I know we've got some ground with some terraces in it too that have been done. And uh, I, I, in fact, I bought a piece of ground with terraces on. And the first thing that happened, the neighbor downstream from me said, please don't take those terraces out. I wish they would have got in there a little sooner. I know they're a pain, but they really do have a purpose. Hey, Tony, uh, thanks for calling in. Really appreciate it. If you want to talk more, you can hold on through the break too. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions.
Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Combine header loss means loss income. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. It's common to see a two bushel loss per acre due to header loss. That's over $14 per acre. 360 Yield Saver replacement gathering chains cut header loss by cushioning the ear and by closing the gaps between the deck plates. 360 Yield Saver can cut header loss by 80%, adding $14 per acre. Learn more at 360yieldcenter.com. It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio, and our phone lines are open here in the Morton studio at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you'd like to chat about something going on in your farm or just ask an agronomic question, we're talking with Tony down in Missouri here just before the break and uh, talking about high magnesium soils, what a blessing they are, and also talking a little bit about terraces and a, a challenge they can be, but but some of the, the good things about them too. Uh, Tony, uh, you know, you think about that, dry weather and getting a hay crop, what is regrowth looking like? I didn't ask you about that. There is none. I I just looked at my rain gauge while he was on break. 0.62 for the month of June, 15.92 for the year, which is last year when I called you at the end of May, I was at 28 inches, and then it shut off last year too. Um, there is no growth. My pastures and hay fields are dust. You know, so that's what I wanted to ask you about. If we get the rain they're talking about this weekend, and, and, and it predicts maybe the next 10 days, possibly, a chance of rain, uh, is the grass going to come back on its own fairly quick? Should, should I no-till? I no-tilled a lot of places this spring after last year. 
I put in some uh, sun hemp, some sorghum sudan, and had a good stand until it burnt up. You know, so you figure if grass isn't growing, nothing else is going to grow. You know, fescue is pretty hardy. So, Tony, this is Brian. I just jumped in here. I, I, I heard you ask about will grass come back after you've had all this time with no rain? Yes, it will. The problem is it's not ahead of the weeds. And so the grass comes back, but then so do weeds typically. That's usually what we see. But I, I mean, we've also had over the last, well, since 2012, we've had some drought years and yeah, it's just, it's tough. We feel for you and just pray that you get some rain here. And I mean, rain fixes a lot of things. So I, I don't, I don't really know much more what else to tell you. Otherwise, uh, other than we just kind of have to wait and see and hopefully it rains, hopefully the stuff comes back and then you have to just manage it accordingly. Right. Yeah. Cause I, I went down to nine head of cattle after 2012 mm. from a big number mm-hmm. and I'm up to 143 after yesterday I had another calf. So 143, I don't want to be back down to nine again. Yeah. Somehow, you know, I, um, retired operator i want to keep this farm going yeah and and not not to say i get out of cattle doesn't mean i quit farming but i i I just don't quit you know i I want alternatives something yep 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 so well yeah we'll uh we'll certainly pray for some rain for you and hopefully it'll all work out um you know it's just well i'll just tell you 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 mentioned 2012 So like for us, we went two and a half months that year with no rain, but we didn't give up. And like on our soybeans, they actually ended up yielding pretty well because we got late rains. Soybeans, the yields made so much later than corn. So our corn wasn't very good, but the soybeans turned out okay. 2013, we were cooler, much cooler. Even though we had less rain in 2013, we still ended up with a better crop than 2012. And then the spring of 2014... So U.S. Geological Survey, they have a monitoring well in one of our fields. So every five minutes of every day, year-round, I can see what's our water table at. Well, (laughs) on June 1, 2014, I just remember this. It was the lowest point in 30 years for the water table. And I'm like, doggone it, we've had two years of horrible crop (laughs) and drought. This is terrible. And once you know it, it started raining like the next day, and we got 20 inches of rain in three weeks and 20 inches that's pretty much what we get for an entire year so it basically fixed all the drought from the prior two years and then gave us a little bit of flooding <laughs> so you just never know so what i'm saying here tony is don't pray too hard for rain because we don't need floods we just, we just want to get, get things back to normal <laughs> yeah and that some of the weather on the phone is showing you know possible flooding rains tonight yep. tomorrow i'm like oh, i don't need that nope no let's have a nice a slow rain over about three it. days yeah <laughs> all right hey, wonderful yep hey tony Thank good you. luck down there you bet hang in there all right uh we're gonna jump back to the phone lines here we got john calling in from maryland john i hear you got more great ideas for us today <laughs> can you guys hear me okay i got you on the blue yeah the sure Yep. I'm cutting cut wheat while I'm talking to you. Well, you didn't stop. Uh, you didn't stop well, combining just to talk on, to us, hold John. Hold on. How's the wheat though, John? How's the wheat running? Wheat's doing well. Uh, surprisingly well. How dry it's been. I, I don't know what the ground moisture's looking like. I was thinking about that, but um, yeah, the wheat's doing well. Better than I expected. I can tell you, it's doing. It's actually doing really well. Um, it's been so dry here. We. We've been really dry. Uh, 
surprised. I've been noticing a lot of winds coming from the east. And in this yep. part of the country, in Maryland, we get a lot of winds from the west. Yep. And I've never seen so many winds from the east here. Yep. And uh, and it's just an extremely dry spring. And as you know, with the rain band and everything, you usually don't get, you know, obviously you get, you know, you see it drier in August than you would in the spring. I've never seen a spring this dry. The ground cracked in places. Uh, like you guys were talking about earlier, the hot the ground that got spread with lime, with high mag lime um, last year. It cracked sooner than uh, than the rest of the ground. So that was something I thought was interesting. Uh, but I'm calling in because you guys did a, a show about two days ago on drought-proofing your crops. And I thought that that was pretty, a uh, very good show. And Tony uh, Wendler... At 37 minutes, I've listened to that show three times now, and I listened to it to Tony Wendler piece probably about six or seven times. But he t- he made some very interesting points about, um, well, one, two points I thought were very interesting was, one, the uh, the idea of putting tiling in, uh, it, it, it causes the plant to put roots deeper faster, and then when it does get dry, you have deeper roots. And I thought that was Correct. very interesting. Yep. And, uh, and also the point of, um, of wicking moisture to the seed and with, uh, the, com- with the closing wheels and getting the correct uh, compaction and, and everything. And so you know, I, I was wondering if on the closing wheels where you get your compaction, I, obviously there has to be a certain balance in there. You don't want it yep. too compact and, and press the, the air out, but you want it uh, pressing down enough to... I guess, make good soil to seed contact. Is that correct? Yeah. So we do want to press as much air out as possible. But the challenge is if it's too wet, if that soil is too wet, then you can really create some compaction. And so we, we see a lot of issues at planting time because of that. Now, here's the thing. We, we understand that in a lot of cases, as farmers, we have tough decisions to make. And so we go, so even like on our own farm, when I, I say, ooh, the calendar's telling me if I don't get this work done pretty soon, um, I could be in trouble. I see rain in the forecast. I see that I've got 90% of the field is fit and dry enough. Uh, should we push it? My answer is almost always yes. Darren's answer is, well, maybe we give it another day or so. So, I mean, there's this constant kind of debate of how much is too much when we have to worry about the mudding it in or, you know, a little spot in the field that's a little wet and things like that. So, yes, I I mean, and, and to go back to your other points that you mentioned, like on tile, we've been talking about that for years. And I'll go even back to, we were just talking 2012. Okay, that was the worst drought year, they say, since 1937. You know where our best yields were? Right over the tile lines. Because the roots got deepest, earliest, and that's where we had fantastic crop. There's just more, we keep the water table down. That's all tile does is keeps the water table down. And I don't think for many of us, we have dug enough plants to realize how quickly those roots can get down two and three feet in the ground. It's very, very, very fast, even with corn and soybeans. And it it, it might not be a big root, but it is a tiny root that's going way down deep and we need that. You also mentioned wicking moisture to the seed. The other thing we talk a lot about, especially in these dry 
conditions is wicking salt to the soil surface when that water comes up through capillary action. So Tony was talking about this capillary action in the soil, and that's absolutely true. So we're in a dry area of the country, uh, and for many of our listeners, I'd say most of our listeners, you're in an area that gets a lot more rainfall than we do. So we have plenty of experience with all these super dry conditions. And I'm not kidding you, in 2012, we went two and a half months with no measurable rain. I mean, when you have that right in the middle of your growing season, um, you learn some things. Our, our dad had the year 1976, he always talks about that, that that summer they had less rainfall here than they did in the Mojave Desert and still had some crops. So a uh, lot of things you can do to drought proof that crop. Hey, John, uh, if you want to talk more, you can just hang on through the break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel soybean bin, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 900 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. Growing up on the farm, I woke up as early as mom and dad. I put as many hours on the tractor, changed as many teeth on the tiller as my brothers. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, man or woman, When there's work to be done, you put your boots on and you do it. I do that on my farm and in my job at Case IH. My name is Kelsey, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm and the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please go to agphd.com to learn more and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Nothing but net. Win your soybean season with the fast knockdown and lasting broad spectrum control of Elevest Insect Control from FMC. Take on army worms, stink bugs, soybean loopers, and more with the maximized ratio of premier active ingredients for better overall control of more than 40 labeled pests. Visit your FMC retailer or elevest.ag.fmc.com to up your game this season. Always read and follow all label directions. Are you ready? We got the need! The need for seed treatment! Start your engines! Ready, set, Intego! Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions.
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio on a Farmer Friday. If you want to call into the show, the number is 844-44-AG-PHD. It's what John did from Maryland. We've been talking with him uh, from right before the break. And one of the comments that he made was, in his area, it's been a dry spring, but he's seen more east winds than normal. And John, I agree with you. Here, even, we've seen more east winds than we normally do, and especially storms. Like, I just remember a couple months ago, I was with my uh, 17-year-old daughter, and she was saying, oh, yeah, look at that. We might get that rain. And I go, we're not getting that rain. That's past us. That's east of us. Storms don't move east to west. And if it does, it's usually a a disaster. And sure enough, uh, the storm came east to west, but it didn't amount to much of a storm. It was little spotty rains. And I'm like, whoa, this is is unusual. So, yes, we've had the same kind of thing here as what you're talking about there in Maryland. Huh. Yep. Yeah. I don't. I don't know exactly why. I'm. I'm not a, a weatherman or anything else. But I just know. Well, you that could be Brian. You could be wrong <laughs> at least half the time and still get your full pay. Well, I'm going to be wrong half the time. I'm sure. But anyway, the the point is, uh, yeah, we've seen a lot of those east winds too. It's just it. It feels a little bit unusual, but whatever. I guess that's uh, that's just the way things go some years. Yeah. Absolutely. So. I wanted to talk to you, uh, gentlemen. I, I enjoy talking to you guys. You guys uh, always spurn some ideas. I wrote in asking about the Canadian wildfires about a month ago. Yes, yep, and I remember. Talking about vol- you, you started talking about volcanoes, and I was learning volcanoes with my three-year-old son, and yep. they were talking about the plants uh, The plants have an ability to shut down uh, when all these uh, when the volcanoes erupt, and, uh, and it releases these gases that can kill any other plant. And then I heard Tony Wendler talk about how the uh, drought-resistant plants shut down, which I thought was interesting, just, just something that uh, I thought was interesting. But um, I wanted to tell you that uh, I've been running some tests on my root idea, where we use a root to uh, transfer moisture, hold moisture, and what have you. And what I did was I took some turnips, and I put them in a pot with some potting soil, and I planted some, some corn seeds next to it and didn't water anything, and didn't do it on the next one, and then weighed everything. And, you know, it didn't. It came back inconclusive, which means, a.k.a., I didn't get any good data off of it. Yep. But what I did get was, as I was watching the turnip, and this is just something I was thinking about as I was listening to Tony Wendler talk about wicking away. I, I noticed that the, the turnip that was sticking above the ground, and this is just, I don't know if there's anything to this, but the, the turnip that was sticking above the ground, it, it almost seemed to me like it was almost like a wick. Like, it would be wicking moisture almost out of the ground. I don't know if there's anything to that or not. But, you know, we've, we've only started really um, having no-till farming for the last 50 years. And so, you know, I mean, these, these plants that are above ground, they're dead. You know, I don't know. Do they wick moisture? When does the chemical kill the plant? When does osmosis stop? When is it just transfusion? You know, when um, are these plants going to dry the soil out? And... And so right now I'm running some more tests with some guys, and I think that possibly an advantage of having a root in order to increase uh, organic matter would not come from something like that would be like a wick, like a turnip, but rather something like a potato that was in the ground deep that would draw the root deeper, which is another thing I got from Tony Wendler's yes. conversation, was drawing that root deeper and having a pocket of moisture, and it would obviously probably work better on a soil that was thinner, because if you look at like a topsoil, it acts like a sponge. But if you have something like a sand, it doesn't have that sponge in it. So right now I'm working with a guy, and we're running a bunch of tests. Um, 
try to figure that out and see if there's any potential. I'll keep you guys surprised. But it was a, just a couple of observations I thought you gentlemen would find interesting. And I'm, I'm always open to your input because you guys uh, spurn a, a lot of ideas on, on this end. <laughs> uh, yep. John, always good stuff. We'll think about that a little bit more. We'll probably talk about that on the show here in the near future. But, hey, uh, hey, thanks a lot for calling in, as always, and thanks for always emailing us and everything, some of these ideas you got from time to time. So great talking to you, and good luck out there. Yeah, I'll let you know how the research goes. You have a good one. Yep, you too. Let's head up to New York. we got Steve on with us right now. How's it going, Steve? Pretty good, guys. How are you doing? Good, good. What do the crops look like up there right now? Um, slow start. We had a, an early spring, probably most of us jumped the gun and, uh, probably should have waited out, uh, late April, but we didn't, of course. And farmers don't ready to, after January, February, March, ready to run out of the house and jump on a tractor. But, uh, they straightened out. We went from, um, a bit cold to really warm and hot and dry conditions in, uh, most of the month of May and early June and started corn came out of the ground then we got all got nervous and then got an inch and a half of rain this week so um hate first crop hay looked phenomenal was yield was excellent um and then of course the corn and beans are coming right along and looking real good uh i, I hate I, I don't think in my adult lifetime we've we've ever had knee high by fourth of july usually it's hip and chest and once in a while shoulder high so it, that corn's pretty typical it was uh, a bit inconsistent, up and down. Uh, had to respray some for um, some weed outbreaks, but uh, again, we probably sprayed a little early and a little cold, and maybe even on some windy days. But uh, put a little effort in, and the crops are really straightening out. I, I don't know what they're going to turn out to be, but um, we're going to take what we got and be blessed. Now we had a great first cutting on on here too, and we actually had a pretty decent second cutting. I'm I'm still wondering where all that moisture is coming from because we're still waiting on getting that uh, that rain that makes us feel like everything's good out here. But uh, what are you working on next? What what comes up next on the farm? So uh, going to take off some fall barley here in the next week, probably after the Fourth of July holiday. And we've haven't done this. We're going to roll right back in there with some test hay try to double crop for the northeast it's kind of unusual um we're gonna i didn't think we we're gonna be short of feed but i don't think we're gonna get much of a third and the second will be marginal what we have uh so we're gonna try teft did some um forage sorghum which i've haven't done in the past picked up some <clears throat> okay ground that's been abused and probably not cultivated in years and years decades so uh we're going to roll right into some uh, some sorghum and probably chop that off. So um, got a really good outlook, uh, you know, between cattle and hogs. we got to feed them first and then hopefully have enough grain to uh, sell later on to keep the heat and the lights on. So we'll see. We get a lot of questions from non-farmers, especially about how livestock get treated when we get a hot summer. What what are some of the things that you do to, to ensure those livestock are doing well? That's a, a great question. I'm, I always... Uh, want to reach out to some of those folks that, you know, let's face it, the farm and the cities are growing farther apart. Um, open air ventilation. We have um, curtains and, and, and a lot of natural ventilation. Um, checking water constantly through the day. When I say constantly, two to three times. Drinkers, a well, you know, the wells uh, every morning. I pop the covers off and, and look at those things. And if it really gets warm, which we, we haven't been, we've only maybe one or two days 
uh, in the high 80s, near 90. Uh, today's going to be a bit inclement. we got a dew point way over 70 and going to be 85, 86. So if we have to, we can turn on some misters. But biggest thing is, uh, is, is open air ventilation. If the wind's not blowing, which is really rare around here, um, you know, ho- hopefully they got enough shade cover and, and those things. But if, if you don't take care of the animals, they don't take care of you. And, and uh, a lot of times they, they get well taken care of before we do. So You bet. And, you know, trying to put the best quality feed up for them as well, that, that always helps too, that they've got good quality feed, uh, plenty of air, plenty of water, uh, and yeah. and they're out of that hot sun, no doubt about it. Yeah, there's there's just a lot of things that go into this, and you think about all the crops that you've talked about here, Steve. And I know you're raising multiple crops on the farm. You got got cattle, got hogs. You got a lot going on this time of year. So, do you sneak out for vacation at all, or is it just work, work, work until you get to fall? No, uh, the lovely lady that I married 35 years ago was a school teacher, so. She gets done the very last week of or the third week of June, and um, it's it's a written rule around here. We disappear. We're big into hiking and, and uh, bicycle riding, so we went to the Adirondacks for rare that I get away four days anytime. But we got away for four days this week. I got back yesterday, and you want to talk about resetting the engines. I, it's been a long time since I actually felt like I needed a break, and I decompressed. And I felt I'm, I'm recharged. I got a really step in my, uh, a jump in my step, and uh, we're adding a new pond on the farm. I was just just came down from checking the guy who's doing the excavation up there, and it was it, yes, we, we we make a point for quality of life. And Absolutely, that's a ba- that's a tough thing to do on the farm to to find the time to get away and just enjoy things too. Hey, Steve, I got to let you run, but thank you so much. Great talking to you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of fierce herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trifold, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at TrivoltInAction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids' area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more, and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. It takes balance to be successful in farming, 
Because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example. Talk openly and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Richard out in Delaware on with us right now. How's it going, Richard? Hi, how's it going? Well, if it was raining, it would be going better here, but outside of that, it's going pretty good, Richard. How about you? Okay, so, so you're telling me that the, uh, that the western, uh, midwest, drought is a for real thing then oh yeah it's it's a for real thing there's no doubt about it i'm not posting any pictures of rolled up corn or anything like that but uh, i am hoping that the rain comes soon well you know is it, do you think it's as bad as uh as 2012 it's worse on our farm brian says no way not even close no it's not worse <laughs> on our farm no way I, I think it looks terrible out there right now, Brad. It does, but 2012 well, was bad. And the thing with 2012, we were hot. I mean, we had a bunch of days that were over that's 100. True. That's We've true. barely we hit 90. Uh, we might have hit 90 a couple, three times, but barely. So here on Delmarva, uh, we, we have been relatively dry, probably about the driest uh, winter that we've had in uh, five years. Uh, the spring, so far this year, we've been able to get just enough rain, just in the nick of time. But you know, here on our on our really sandy soils, we like to say, you know, this time of the year, we're only four days away from a drought. Yeah, yeah, I get that. On sandy soil, there's only so much that a guy can do. But you know, you I, I look at what you guys do in in Delaware and, and crop rotations and cover crops and tillage practices and so forth. I mean, you're farming for that. You're doing the best you can to hold on to what you got. Oh yeah, we you know we've been innovating here with uh, well, my grandfather cover crops back in the 1940s and 50s and. Uh, and my father carried that on as well as I. Uh, so you know we know uh, we know the importance of of retaining organic matter and uh, and trying to build organic matter. You know, as you uh, as you look at this year and you look at the the tough conditions, I, I was just reading seventy percent of the corn crop uh, doesn't have enough moisture. There's definitely opportunity if you can manage things well and still manage to pull off some decent yields. Yeah, yeah. You know, here uh, on Delmarva, we're about uh, we're about forty percent uh, irrigated now. About forty percent of our our cropland acres are uh, are irrigated. Um, you know, so uh, it's it's really it's it's 
not a happy year when you have to use all that energy in order to make a crop. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, you, if you're blessed uh, to have fields that are shaped to accommodate irrigation systems and, and, uh, and you can afford the uh, capital investment, uh, that surely has made a, uh, a big uh, improvement in the sustainability of agriculture here. Yeah, at least you got a shot when you can make it rain a little bit. So what's the next project, Richard? What 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 are you working on next? Or you kind of got everything set for a little bit? You're going to take a few days off around the 4th? Oh, well, uh, uh, my, my wife has talked me into taking off uh, uh, at least uh, tomorrow afternoon and, uh, and Sunday. And uh, then, you know, we'll see what it, I've got. Uh, I grow triticale uh, for seed. Uh, I sell that as a cover crop seed. And uh, I got about 50 acres of that this year. And uh, looking for uh, for some real nice uh, hot, dry weather in a row so I can harvest that seed at uh, 10, 11% moisture and not have to worry about, about it going going bad on the uh, in the bed. Yep. Harvest conditions, super important. You get one shot to do that. Well, hopefully, Richard, for your wife's sake, I hope it rains until the 4th, kind of midway through. You can enjoy the 4th, and then on the 5th, you can get out and do that harvesting. Well, we're definitely taking off some time for a barbecue and the watch fireworks on Tuesday evening. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic thing. And, and it's kind of good timing right in the middle of the season, too, as far as I'm concerned. Hey, Richard, thank you so much. Good talking to you and, and have a happy fourth. Well, thank you much. Keep on doing the good work you all are doing. Oh, thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah, it's a, there's a lot to celebrate, no doubt about that this year. Hey, Brian, uh, we were talking about bracerets the other day, and I got this one from MP who said, Hey, guys, thanks for talking about this. It's actually my first year growing corn, and I thought the plant was lifting itself up out of the ground. It was kind of a weird structure to see out there. Yeah, those bracerets are kind of neat, and they can definitely pull in some more water and some more nutrients and, and provide a nice anchor for the plant as it gets big and tall and puts on those big, heavy ears, too. Hey, before we get to the next Next question. One of the things I wanted to go back to is something that John brought up about water going down in the ground, up in the air, up to the plant above ground. The the thing I think we all have to keep in mind is plants care about one thing only, reproduction. Their purpose in life is to reproduce. So you got to think about the energy is typically going to go to that. That means the nutrients, the water, everything else, it's all about supporting seed or in some cases of a perennial plant, it could be uh, the below ground roots or uh, rhizomes, tubers, whatever that would happen to be. But I, I just wanted to say, you know, in terms of, oh, we're going to replenish soil moisture with plants, that typically doesn't happen. But you can build soil mo- soil organic matter with plant roots. And the more roots you have, the better chance you have to build soil organic matter. So long term for overall soil structure and things like that, it's great. So this is part of the reason why we want to keep plants living out in that field as long as we possibly can. And like even on our own farm, after we cut silage, we got a couple months left of growing season, we're planting a cover crop. So never used to plant cover crops, but we never used to cut silage either. And now we're doing a whole bunch of that. So you have to continue to change and adapt the more we learn, the more we adjust our cropping plans and, and, and all that. So anyway, uh, I, I guess I just wanted to bring that up since we talked about that a little earlier. 
What's your, what, what do you got next there, Dan? All right, Brian, I uh, get this one in from Wade. He said, guys, what's a herbicide you'd recommend to knock out what I call snake grass, you guys call scouring rush? I saw it on one of your TV episodes, and I didn't write it down. Gramoxone is what we've always found to work best, but Gramoxone kills everything. That's Paraquat, and it's also dangerous, so you got to be really careful. Uh, scouring rush is a perennial plant. You can you can go try high rates of Roundup, 2,4-D, dicamba. Uh, we have found that that doesn't work. Yeah, some guys have used Harmony or Thyphen, Sulfuron. Got I, a little bit of activity out of it. Some guys yep. that have had some luck on that. And the non-crop areas, Remedy Ultra or Triclopyr. Uh, we just had somebody just in the last couple of weeks here sent us a picture. They were spraying yep. some other things and noticed the triclopyr really did a number on the scouring rush. Now, the thing to keep in mind is it will barely hold any herbicide. So you have to have very low water volumes and very high herbicide rates. So in other words, your concentration for each droplet is very high. In addition to that, we're going to talk a lot about cultural practices rather than herbicides when it comes to scouring rush control. So where we see it predominantly is where there are drainage issues. You fix the drainage issue. In other words, we're looking at tile, maybe more calcium, reducing compaction, increasing organic matter, all those kind of things. Then that's going to help quite a bit. And then the next thing is you want to shade that ground out as much as you can. So in other words, tall plants, whatever crop you want to raise, it's tall, narrow rows, fertilize it well, and get it growing just as quickly as you possibly can, and you can try to shade out that scouring rush. You do that over time, and the scouring rush patches will usually disappear. All right, thanks for the question. I got this one in from Rob up in Manitoba. He said, guys, uh, if you're raising hemp, just wondering what would be a way to help that residue decompose faster. And, you know, you think about that when they use hemp, uh, they use the, the high lignin stalks and fibers to make rope and twine. Uh, yeah, that stuff's going to be tough to break down. So I, I just thought about this. What breaks twine down? And there, there's several things. And if it's out in the field, I look at, well, what's the size? If the pieces are small, it breaks down faster. Yep. Uh, is there more nitrogen? Because when you have nitrogen to offset yep. a high carbon fiber, yep. you can break that down. Biologicals, and I don't know what's labeled in Manitoba. I know that a lot of those products don't move across the border, but I know there's a bunch of different biological breakdown products that, that could be found. Maybe some tillage to try and chop that Absolutely. residue up and, and mix it with more soil, which would introduce more biology. Yep. But still, it's going to be one of the harder residues to breakdown i can and, imagine and the challenge is he said the key word right off the bat he's from manitoba where they don't have much heat because heat is the big thing that well, pushes the heat. they're getting a little heat this year <laughs> well but yes it doesn't last very long when your ground's there. frozen for six or seven months out of the year it's or hard eight. to break yep. things down yeah <laughs> well hey thanks for the question and good luck to you well thanks for listening to our program today always enjoy farmer fridays love to hear from you and hear what's going on you can always keep in touch radio at agphd.com thanks for listening today and be sure to join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio